Video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point. But you've got no time and little budget, and your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet GoodKind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be. Show your face, show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. Last fall I had gone in and actually we had a we had an intern that we were working with for the fall who who was great. So I had him go take a you know email address, a fake, you know, name and whatnot, and just go and inquire at, at a number of different grad programs. And then I tracked from uh, August through January all the different communications I received. Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy & Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Cruz, founder here at Enrollify. Enjoy the show. We are recording. How are you doing, my friend? I am well. It's been a it feels like it's been forever since we talked last. I know. It's probably a matter of a couple of weeks, but it feels like a month. I was just telling someone this week, April. I have no idea what happened to the month of April. I know it's um, April twenty seventh right now. Like what? Yes, my calendar tells me the month has been here and occurred. I feel like it's probably still March fifteenth. <laughs> but yeah. I'm already planning, you know, through I'm at, my my planning is into June at this point. So I don't know what happened to April. We just kind of slid by. I don't know. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I opened up my calendar this morning, my computer this morning, and I was trying to schedule a podcast interview with somebody next week. And I was like, what? Next week is May. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, what yes. happened? What happened? Next week is May. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you what happened. But but, you know, it, it happened. The weather hasn't quite caught up. I know. It was cold. I went on a walk this yeah. morning. I was at, like, you know, had to wear my sweats and jacket. And I was like, wow, geez. But, and hey, I, I, I like it. Days. I like it. Yeah, a couple of good days of weather. And that's it. Everything else has been chilly. Yeah. For it to be May, you know, and be consistently in the 60s every day. You know, you know I live in Pennsylvania so I can experience all four seasons. I'm not getting my spring. I'm telling I know. you. I know. Uh, it's gonna go. It's gonna go winter to summer. It'll get uh, into. 80, it, we're gonna skip to eighties and have consistent eighty degree. I want consistent seventy degree weather every day, at least for two weeks. Yeah, at yeah, least for I'm, two weeks. I'm with you. I'm with you. Hey, 
I met a bunch of our fans last week at NAGAP, the National Association of Graduate Admissions Professionals. They had their annual event, the GEM Summit, the Graduate Enrollment Management Summit. And I was there and had at least five people come up and say that they love our show. So that was cool. They were like, oh, I like rewarding. Yeah, yeah. And they they kept referencing, you know, smart things that you would say. And I was just waiting for like the, I was waiting for like the, oh, where's the, oh, Zach, I love when you said this. It's always, I I love when Mickey said that. Or, wow, you know, this one insight Mickey said uh, here was just, it just really struck a chord with me. So anyways, I, they clearly love you, my friend. Well, I'm going to be there next year. There you go. Um, okay, good. I, had a, I, had a, I think, the, when was that come? Was that last week? It was literally, yeah, it was last week in Chicago. It was like the yep. Wednesday through Friday, Tuesday through Friday, something like that. Yeah. The only thing that might conflict with me is that we normally travel with the family right around, depends on when Easter falls and kids spring break. But my plan, unless that somehow conflicts and, I don't think it will, but my plan is to be there. Did they announce where it's going to be next year? It is in New York City at the Marriott Marquis, I believe. Yep. All right. In New York City. Yeah, apparently it's like, right. I, yeah, I've never been to the Marriott Marquis, but I think it's in like the heart of Times Square. So it's supposed to be like a pretty cool place. I've never been to a conference in New York City. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. That will be a different experience. Yeah. I'm going to, we'll be there. I cool. will be there. So that'll be super. Next year, if you're, if we're both there, then we totally have to record. Yeah. Uh, at least one episode while we're there. We just have to remember, we got to scale up and let people um, give us ideas ahead of time. We should do, yeah, we should do a live, like a live yeah. recording yeah. and ha- like have a, have a crowd. That'd be a lot of fun. I've always wanted to do a studio audience. Yeah. There you uh, go. Next year at the NAGAP conference. Let's um, you know, submit it as a proposal. Mm, and ask I love me that. anything session, live stream podcast. I love it. I love it. Let's do it. I'm sold. And uh, speaking of that event, I did get the opportunity to, to present. And I presented on something that we've talked about a few times on this show, but the title of my presentation was I submitted RFI forms for 100 different grad programs. And here's what I learned. And so last fall I had gone in and actually we had a, we had an intern that we were working with for the fall who, who was great. So I had him go take a, you know, email address, a fake, you know, name and whatnot, and just go and inquire at a number of different grad programs. And then I tracked from uh, August through January, all the different communications I received. And I have some super interesting like data points that I, I wanted to call out on, on this show. And then Mickey, I know that you've done several of these. And yes. so wanted to sort of like compare and contrast. Again, th- this is specifically focused on, you know, emails that graduate enrollment managers would send to prospects. I imagine a lot of the data that you have is more more undergrad focused. So maybe we can do a little compare so, and contrast. So, yeah, let's... so. I haven't done my secret shopper study in, in some time. I last did it in 2016, and so I pulled those numbers up. So I had 108 programs, okay, uh, and they're actually split almost evenly between graduate and adult focused on traditional. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. I think there were only five programs that were more traditional than us because some of our clients, some of our clients who were asking me to for this wanted to say, "Can you do a couple of under traditional undergrad?" So, um, but. This, what I'm looking at in my 
notes from that that extracted the traditional programs out. So they're not all grad, but they are all non-traditional undergrad slash grad focused of what I have. And so and so you did, you said August to January. Mine was only, so what I did was I filled out the form, inquiry form, and only followed it for six weeks. Okay. So I tracked email. I looked at the form and, and made some assessments on the form. I tracked phone calls, SMS, if they did it, this is 2016, not many people were. And I also tracked direct mail. So okay. all of the engagement that they would do for six weeks. So I, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, the points where we're both, what did we find? So yeah, yeah. I'll let you start and then I'll plug in. Cool, cool. So there's a lot of data here. So I'm just going to pick out some of the more interesting stats here. So just holistically, during that six month period of time, I received 2,607 emails. 18% of schools sent me 20 or more emails during that season of time. 56% sent me six or more emails. 22% sent me just one email, which was the, you know, thank you confirmation email. And then 8% of schools sent me zero emails. And we, you know, triple checked, you know, the email address before we submitted the form, ensuring that, you know, it wasn't Zach at enrollify.con instead of .com, right? So the email addresses were good. And 8% of schools didn't send me a single email after completing the RF. So that's eight of 100. Eight of 100. And I think my actual count, if I take out my undergrad, was 103. It's 102 or 103. Okay. Uh, of mine, 12 schools did not respond at all. Wow. Uh, and this was 2016. And of the 12, eight of the 12 were graduate programs. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty comparable. So what still, we, <laughs> it's also still completely, totally unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, That's too high of a percentage point too. Even though we're talking about eight, is unacceptable. They have yeah. zero response. We don't need technology to have an auto responder. Yeah, you need yeah. an HTML form tied to an email. It's simple. You don't, you know, that is. That is not even baseline. That is, you know, when we talk CRM 101, CRM 201, that's CRM 000. <laughs> right. um, so. Yeah, no, I know I'm with you there. And so, so then what I did is, and yeah, I'm looking at slides. I'll link the slide deck in the show notes here. So if folks want to go and just like look through it on their own, they can. But what I did is I compared these stats to a super cool study I found that HubSpot did where they analyzed 41 different, 41 million, excuse me, sales nurturing sequences across 15 different industries, right? So the goal being like, once somebody submits some sort of form that a business has on their website, it's not a buy now form. How are businesses, how are organizations nurturing those prospects, right? So 41 million different sales sales nurturing sequences across these 15 different industries in industries. And what they found was that the average number of words that you want in like the top performing nurturing sequences, you want 50 to 125 words in that email. Okay. The average number of words in a graduate enrollment management nurturing sequence is 212. So right, like double, double the amount of words that are recommended based off of the HubSpot study. Furthermore, the average number of days that they recommend between emails is four to five. 
The average number of days between these emails by the same school was 10 days. And then the average number of characters in an email subject line that they recommend is, is that HubSpot recommends is 19. On average, gem professionals are sending emails with subject lines that contain 46 characters. So again, this is pretty nitpicky here, but like what you see is this significant difference in terms of like what best practice is for nurturing sequences versus how we're responding as graduate schools today. I'm in. So I'm looking at my notes on on this. So what we did, I'll just add to some of this context. Yeah. Um, so I looked at some, I, I looked at their forms as well in mine. And this, again, this is dated. I'd be interested to replicate this and see what it comes back to. So, you know, I look at how long your inquiry forms are because that matters. And I think if I really did this, repeated the study, we'd see some significant changes in this. You know, back then we were still using the old looking CRM forms. The average number of fields in a form was 16.3. Wow. Wow. Um, can we say I've applied at that point? So, and you're, you know, you're comparing yours to industry standard. Um, back then, the industry standard or industry average, I won't say standard, average 5.7 fields. And, you know, a lot of our recommendations then, and really still now, you anything more than 10 is, is just too much. And I generally will say, if you're asking for information on an inquiry form, and you're not using it, then why in hell are you asking it? Yeah. Like, don't ask it. Yeah. Yeah. Save yeah, that yeah. For, especially if it's on the application. Save that and ask it then, because otherwise you start to make that form too long. The longer the form, the lower the submission rate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so when if you are lead hungry, you need more inquiries, more prospective students in your pipeline. If that's what you need, and you've got 16 fields in your form, that's too many. Now, most of what I'm seeing now is really drop more dramatically somewhere between five and eight is what I see normally. <clears throat> but, but it'd be interesting if I repeat this, what it looks like today. Yeah. Um, and I, I think at the graduate level too. Yeah. You'd I like, I know that there's certainly been some progress, like as I was going through some of these landing pages, I'd say, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, off, off the cuff here, probably closer to like, you know, eight to 12, but even eight to 12 on an inquiry form, is still kind of a lot like it's it, you know especially it's if it's a program specific inquiry form already it's like yeah. you know you, you i'm inquiring about your mba program on your mba program page you should know that that's the program that i'm interested in do you we, do we really need like eight to 12 different unique fields in order to yes. you know say i want a program brochure right like if your inquiry form is on a program page is what you're saying yeah at minimum that is a hidden pre-populated field exactly yep yeah it's simple uh, you know that's well i won't say it remember that is the easiest way to shrink that form down and begin doing that did you open your study up to track any type of phone calls so i didn't track any phone calls i did give folks a google number to call the same thing yep and of the people, so of the form, not every form asked for a phone number, first and foremost, but of the yeah. forms that did ask for a phone number, I'd say close, uh, about 10% called. And, and call, you know, there's 10% called, and I'd say 1% to 2% called on repeat. So much, you know, to, to the point where I had to block the number. But still, still like a small, I'd say about, about 40 to 50% actually had phone numbers as a field. And 
of those 40 to 50 percent, only about 10 percent ever called. And again, of those 10 percent, one to two percent called repeatedly. So I will. Did you have any were any of them for profit universities? No, they were all nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a few for profits on this list because I wanted to be able to compare. I will tell you in 2016, 35 percent of our respond of the folks in the study called. So that seems to have dropped quite significantly over time. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I I totally understand that, and I, I that not surprised at all. And the last year I did it, twenty sixteen, I was the highest peak. So you want to take a guess? I because we tracked every phone call, the mo- the most number of phone calls from a single institution over six weeks. Over six weeks, I'd say ten. No, not even close. 41. Oh, gosh. 41, 41 in six 41 weeks? calls in six weeks. Now, yes, that was a for-profit institution. There's no surprise there. However... It's uh, like one a day. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes. So, you know, I we looked at the content of the voicemail when people left them. Not many left voicemails. And usually if they did leave a voicemail, those were the ones who called multiple times and only left the voicemail on the first call and didn't leave voicemails after that. But, you know, there was... Very little distinguishing in what the message was other than I am from this school, want to talk about your interest. Nothing that would give me any reason to say, oh, this is exciting, unless I really wanted to hear from that school. If I, you know, if I didn't say, hey, I really want to hear from you, there was nothing to give me a value, you know, and when we're talking email or SMS content, we're, we're talking what value are you providing? zero value in that. So if you do still call or you outsource to someone who calls, look at the mess- messages they may leave. What, are, what is the value you offer? And because what happens now today, I see more often, if people call if uh, and they don't necessarily leave a voicemail, they follow that up with SMS or email Yeah, and, yeah. and do that in lieu of the message yeah. or in support of the message. But what is the value of the call? You ha- and that value has to carry over into that message to make someone want to call you back or at least reply to that email or text. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not doing that or looking at it carefully, you're missing out on an opportunity. Otherwise, why the heck are you calling? Because <laughs> that is what one 5% maybe of people you call answer. So Yeah. So on that note, in terms of just like content in messages, yeah. I, I, I found some interesting data on what the email act, what the email contents actually contained. So just rattling some cool stats here. So, you know, 98% of emails contained apply now in the body copy. So uh, we, okay. we're, we, we are comfortable with the invitation to apply, which is good. Be concerned if that wasn't there. So the more interesting stats is 25% of all of these emails, okay, of these 2,600 plus emails contained renowned faculty in the body copy. The way that they talk about their faculty is is renowned faculty. So just kind of like a fun that, data point that specific there. Phrase? That specific phrase, renowned faculty, 25% of all emails contained that in the body copy. Now, again, it makes sense. These are, you know, grad programs in faculty is, you know, one of the one of the things that they like to tout. But I just thought it was so funny from like a like legitimately like a descriptor. The adjective renowned was in was used in. 25% of emails to describe faculty. So that was kind of funny. 11% of emails contained affordable, the word affordable in the body copy. And only 2%, 2% of emails contained info on the ROI or outcomes of the program in the body 
copy. So meaning by talking specifically about after graduating from this program, here is what you can expect in terms of outcomes. So again, you know, I guess the one caveat here is I, after inquiring to these schools, I did not touch the email, the emails, right? So like I waited six months to then go through and like sort through all of this stuff. And then I opened all of them and, you know, mm-hmm. got all this data. So one could argue that, well, the smart institutions, you know, might wait till email number three or four to talk about ROI or outcomes. And because I didn't open emails one or two or three, I never got email four in that sequence. And while I think that, you know, maybe there's a, a couple, a handful of schools that are that sophisticated in their segmentation, I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that's the real reason. I don't think, I don't think that's the, the majority. A couple other just interesting email content findings. And then Mickey, uh, I want you to respond to this. 1% of emails contained small classes as a u- unique value proposition that they were touting as, as one of their program offerings. 3.8% of emails contained experiential learning as a UVP, and only 2 per, 2.7% of emails offered the opportunity at any point to connect with a student. And again, right, like maybe it's not as important at the graduate level as it is at the undergraduate level, but still, if I'm going to go spend $30,000, dollars $50,000 on a graduate program, I want to talk to somebody who's currently in the program and or has recently graduated from the program to ensure that they got value out of it. And again, only 2.7% mm-hmm. of schools invited me, gave me the opportunity to connect with the student. So I'll pause and, you know, you can react to all this. Not surprises. You know, I'll tell you, it's bending my mind and making me think, okay, let, what are you talking about that is, that's making me think, okay, if I were to replicate this next year, what would it look like? Because I think I haven't. I'm interested now to see how have dynamic campaigns, not just content. Yeah, yeah. Dynamic campaigns, so that if I were to replicate this today, one of the things I would do, and maybe you're thinking about it next year, and this is your idea uh, or my idea for you to take or leave it, have two different people or two different personas or fake contacts to inquire at each school, so that with for different programs, ones are, maybe it's the same program just for control group, but. Um, one's opening and clicking and one's not. What changes on the email campaigns? Because then you might start to see, you know, who's more advanced and who's not, or what percentage of folks are thinking about their campaigns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that is a standard now. That if you want to be, I'm not going to say best practice, but if you want to be ahead of the curve, that dynamic campaign, not dynamic content. Yeah. That's still behind the curve at this point. Everybody's got some form of dynamic content other than a mail merge, you know, insert program of interest, insert term of interest. Somebody's got that, but dynamic campaigns. Yeah. That's getting ahead of the curve. And I'd be really interested to see what happens there. I'll point out just a couple other things from mine that I think are interesting. I'm not going to talk too much about the for profits because they've kind of really tanked quite a bit since 2016. Yeah. Um, however, I will share that when I broke apart those two groups, for-profit and non-for-profit, phone, email, mail, and SMS, all of the for-profits used all of those channels to communicate. Huh. Yep. Less than 10% of non-profits used all of those channels. Yeah, to yeah. Communicate. And I'm not saying, hey, you've got to call, you've got to text, you got. you need more than a single channel. I haven't talked to a client in the in the last five years that has said, 
email really works. We yeah. love it. They all say the opposite. Email doesn't work. Well, if that's all you're doing and you're saying it doesn't work, what's wrong with that picture? What yeah. channels do you, and then how do you blend the channels together to get the message across, to get the right medium in front of the person to read what you need them to see and, and learn? Yeah. Yeah. And on, on that note, uh, I'm glad you brought up texting too, in particular, and, and sort of yes. giving giving prospects the option to opt into their preferred communication channel. Only 0.5% of these emails offered the opportunity to connect with any form of admissions counselor or program coordinator via a text message. So there wasn't even only 0.5% even offered the opportunity for me to text somebody. And that actually is my preferred method of sourcing at least general information from a brand just because so it's, it's easier to use yeah that's the opportunity so if you're listening now what can you learn from this to use as an opportunity to improve your ability to engage and convert prospective students that right there yeah, yeah because that is going to be unless you're 75 your ability to connect through sms <laughs> engage that way that is critical right now, especially when you see how few people are doing it. That's a way for you to stand out. 100%. And so all and the like, technology exists. Sorry. Yeah. And no, and, and it's easier than ever. There are more choices than ever before. It's easier than ever. So, and with all this content, like I, I was trying to, as I was going through it, it's like, okay, so what? Like, how do, again, how do we compare this to other industry standards? Like, how do we compare, how do we know whether or not this is good, bad, ugly, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So I went and dug up. RNL's most recent graduate student recruitment report. So this was published last May, May of 2021. And RNL surveyed something like 1,500, close to 2,000 prospective graduate students who, who noted that they planned to enroll within the next year. Mm-hmm. So in this report, 47% of prospective graduate students say that they expect information on the return on investment. Um, of their programs to be included in, in communication flows. So 47% of, of, of prospective graduate students care about the ROI of their program and they want information about that during you know the, the quote-unquote sales process. And only 0.2% of graduate enrollment managers in these communications are delivering that information. So huge discrepancy there. Furthermore, 89% of per of prospective graduate students that say that they expect invitations to recruitment events, like information sessions and open houses as part of that, that nurturing process. And only 7% of the emails that I received invited me to a program specific information session or an open house. 45% of prospective graduate students say that they expect information on scholarships and financial aid. And only 1.5% of graduate enrollment managers in these communications are clearly articulating those particular pathways. So again, just massive discrepancies. Now, again, this is kind of a top of the funnel nurturing sequence, a top of the funnel post-inquiry nurturing sequence. I'm not responding to any of these communications. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's uh, a lot better news out there than it appears at, at least at face value with schools that have become more sophisticated and are realizing that, hey, Zach's either not a real person or Zach is, you know, not responding to any of our communications and therefore let's unenroll him from this workflow and save our, you know, email deliverability rates. But I, I don't think that is, that is the majority. So anyhow, that was a lot of data, lots going on there. And I think the the kind of the big takeaway here is while email, as you mentioned, Mickey, 
is a channel that people, you know, love or hate. It's still an incredibly important one, especially for uh, graduate enrollment management. And I think that the bar, like my big takeaway is the bar here is still pretty low. Like you don't have to do too much to really stand out given, you know, the way that these hundred programs are nurturing prospects, making it really easy for people to opt in and text as their preferred communication, linking to student stories, student videos, right? Finding ways to even embed and or include a simple Loom video as part of a, a nurturing sequence to further explain the application process or to highlight a couple student stories, whatever it might be. And honestly, just to make it really clear and easy, like, what do you get out of this, right? Like, talk to an alum, talk to a student, ask them, you know, you know, any questions that you might have about the value of the program. If you really just focus on those three things and did those three things well, you're already going to be so far ahead of the competition in light of what this data is suggesting. Fantastic. Uh, very interesting. You really made me want to um, replicate the study again. Did uh, we? Yeah, we should, we should both do it and then, and track it. You know, have one of us highly engage, open emails, click through emails, and have the other do nothing and just see, like, yeah, what is the difference? That'd be what fun. Yeah. yeah. I totally want to do this now to, to see what's changed in this. I love your information as you look at length of emails. I have to go find my detail because we looked at character counts and subject lines, words and email, number of images, which how many were plain text, how many were, how many links. How many had a link in the first paragraph? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we looked at all of those items as well. So it's, and it's, and I don't want to say I'm surprised or not surprised. I don't, I'm somewhere in between about what has and what has not changed. I'm you know, not surprised phone calls are down. Not surprised SMSs are up because at that time, I think we had like 5%, maybe 7% texting. You know, in 2016, it wasn't as big a thing. It wasn't as easy to do. It wasn't as automated. We didn't hire, hadn't really adopted technology that automated email and texting it together at that time. So not too surprised with some of those things, but still surprised that there were the, the number that did not get back to you at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, while there is more adoption of these tools, I mean, like still only 0.5% of people are inviting me to start a conversation with a program coordinator via text, right? That's just, it's just unacceptable. Um, and oh, here was another, like in, in the deck, again, I'll link it in the show notes, but in the deck, I show like the great, the good, the bad, the ugly of, and show a bunch of examples. And, you know, one of the things that I thought just was most interesting is that, you know, a lot of schools in their thank you communications, they're like trigger-based communications, or even that first email that you get post-inquiring, they put so much onus on the inquirer, meaning it was like, Zach, hey, I'm here. What questions do you have for me? Right. And that's it. And like, you know, there, there are so many other ways to solicit Zach's questions without making without like punting the ball. It's like that, you know, it's like that coworker that they just they're constantly like shuffling work around. It's like, oh, I don't know. Like, like, what do you think? Like, you know, and it's like you it's ping pong right like and, and it's, mm -hmm. it's like no i want somebody to just freaking take the charge and tell me you know how to do this well right i think that like the same thing is true in this context like yes we need to 
ensure that there are open lines of communication, but we also need to lead the prospect, the prospective student, right? Like we need to be very clear. Hey, like you have questions. I'd love to answer them. Here are like three common questions that we get when students are just inquiring. Here are those answers to this question. Like I would love to hop on a Zoom call, love to you know schedule time with you to further walk through any of these. But like I was shocked by how much onus was placed on the prospect to initiate the relationship even after they had raised their hand by filling out the form. So that's just kind of a, a big like general takeaway is like, don't, don't make your prospect do the work of nurturing you. You are responsible for doing the work of nurturing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We look at what well, we've talked about this season, I think the F word. Yeah. Friction. <laughs> Friction. Yeah. When you put the onus on the prospect, you've added, a consistent layer of friction. Yeah, yeah. You may want that friction there for whatever reason. Have at it. Yeah. You are reducing your conversion um, that you have with students and you're missing students because of that. Some of you don't have to worry about it because you've got enough prospects. You don't have to worry about making your class, making it a good class, a strong, academically preferred class. Some of you aren't. And if you have that layer of friction and you're having the burden of the progression completely on the shoulders of the prospective student. They will have the weight of your effort and the weight of other schools' efforts on their shoulders, and they will dump the heaviest loads. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Hey, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. We, I think we need to do more secret shopper experiments. So let's plan those out. And uh, I think those are, these are always fun recaps. Absolutely. These are always fun episodes. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you all for listening. And thanks if you were at NAGAP and you got to stop by and see Zach, thanks for telling him hi. And I hope every one of you were talking about me instead of him. I'm just kidding. Yes, yes, they were. They were. <laughs> all right. Take care, man. All right. Yep. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, um, and I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, and reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.